Welsh that I know. Oh, so long as it's not a rude word. Uh, no, it's it's Boreda. Diolch yn fel iawn, Johnny. Mae'n dda cael siarad fel hyn ar fore mor hyfryd o man hyrdydd. Did you got that? It's very nice to talk to you too. Um, <laughs> my old science teacher was Joshua Oliver Tudor Jones and uh, so I've always had I'm sorry that he's a Swansea fan I do know some Cardiff fans of, as well um, so where do I find you? are you in Cardiff? I'm in Cardiff to be sure Good. in fact you can... it was indeed quite historic and I've just taken my friend Nick, Sutton, Nick, Nick Williams a Wales supporter who runs a pub in Sutton back to the train so we've had some friendship through football at his historic first EFL Cup match in Cardiff last night he was staying with us which was lovely oh that is magnificent it finished 3-2 if I'd have known I would have followed it uh, but yes two goals from the debutant Marley Watkins which is a name I know uh, former Bristol I City player impressed. I am well impressed with that so he's only signed this I'm just going off the BBC website He's only signed till the end of the month, so he's effectively a trialist. Well, on last night's performance, he should be with us. We haven't got anybody else that will compete like that. This is a, a genius signing. I've spoken to lots of Cardiff fans. When I started this project, um, Neil Harris was manager. Now you have the yeah. pair of Mick and Terry, and you must... They do come as a pair, and you would have seen Mick McCarthy teams come to the uh, the stadium in Cardiff many times. Is it nice, uh, the poacher turned gamekeeper? Do you, do you, are you optimistic for this era? Well, I'm looking at the performances in the first two games of this season, and no, I'm not optimistic. We like Mick McCarthy. He seems to embody that ethos of ours of straight-talking, hard work. I mean, we hear this up and down the country, don't we? But what I remember about Mick McCarthy was years ago he came, I can't remember, he was managing, I think it was in the old Ninian Park, and we screamed at him, there's only one Roy Keane, and he turned around <laughs> and laughed at us. Now, when Roy Keane came to manage at Ninian Park, we shouted, there's only one Mick McCarthy, and he looked at the children, daggers, because the old family enclosure was pitch side then, and I just thought, well, there's a difference, isn't it? There's a difference in approach. You can be the hard man when you're a player, but surely you need to engage with the fans when you're a manager. So we liked Mick McCarthy even before he came here. Jolly good, and I wish Cardiff well. I don't think you're among the top six clubs, but anything can happen if Sutton United can go up from uh, the conference. And they seem to put up a good fight, uh, looking at the statistics as well, um, for the mm. game. Well, they shocked us with a goal within four minutes and then with a couple of minutes before the end. So uh, 3-1 would have made it look comfortable, but it wasn't. It wasn't comfortable. It never rarely is for Cardiff City. Uh, you're here, Tim Hartley, by the way, because you've got a book out called The World at Your Feet, uh, which uh, does feature some stuff about Cardiff, which we will get to before we do anything else. I will give you your football library card. I wonder if you want to look at uh, the books of Jamie Kemble, whom you may know. Jamie wrote a book, Bluebird Heaven. So I spoke to him about that. That's the last 10 years of Cardiff. You may even be in the book because you are uh, part of the, you must be one of the most impressive Cardiff City supporters. Well, that's very kind of you to say so. I was one of the founding members and then chair for 10 years of the Cardiff City Supporters Trust, set up in the bad old days of Sam Hamam boo. and then Peter Ridge. Double boo. <laughs> A lot of people are saying boo to that. But, you know, that's the interesting thing about Cardiff and many clubs. You know, these people, very colourful characters, they could say, hold on. 
Who got you the new stadium? Hold on. Who got you to the Premier League? Hold on. Who took you to a League Cup and an FA Cup final? And we could turn around and say, thank you very much. Who saddled us with all the debt? Who ensured that we are in hock to the supply companies at the stadium so that the prices are outrageous down there? And you could also say then, you know, what about the future? Are you going to invest? I mean, this is the, the, the beauty and the torture of the professional football as it's structured in these islands, isn't it? Yeah, we had a, we had a great roller coaster ride, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It is. It's beyond roller coaster. It's kind of. It's the oblivion drop. It's, it's you're up there and then you're down there. You go from the days of Malky to the days of Russell Slade, and Jamie does a really good job at communicating just how awful the disconnect was between fan and club. So that he talks about the lowest point being the cl- the players ignoring the fans when they come off the coach. Were you at this fixture? I wasn't. No, no, I wasn't. The other thing that dislocated with the club, I remember the we used to love the end of season awards, and why we particularly liked it was because you had a player or two on your table, and there was one fantastic one in City Hall, and Graham Kavanagh, who you may remember, very strong midfielder. Yes. He was sitting next to my wife and they were discussing Catholic education in Cardiff for his children because my wife taught in a Catholic school. And it was lovely to, to be able to speak to your heroes. You know, they say don't meet your heroes. Well, with Cav, I, 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 I beg to disagree. Now, somebody was a bit mouthy. I don't know whether that one or the year after. And then they said, no, the players are now, from now on, they're going to sit at their own tables. And there was a sort of behaviour announcement at the beginning of the evening. I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. This is our evening, you know. If someone misbehaves, we will look after that. Mm-hmm. And I just felt, this is going back now. Crimson was Cav with us. You're 10, maybe 15 years. And you say, that's not on, you know, the, the, the dislocate there. And that's interesting. You're saying, Campbell was saying that, you know, the players ignoring coming off the coach. It's just not on. It really isn't. I remember my son playing Pass the Parcel and Musical Cheers with Robert Earnshaw and Danny Gabidon at the Christmas party. I don't know whether that, you know, he was a little tiny little kid then. I don't know whether that still goes on or whether they do engage. Don't get me wrong, they do a lot of good charity work, blah-de-blah. But I just feel that, you know, the, the game has moved on from those days. I am now, well, I'm fascinated with the FA Youth Cup. That's what I'm writing about at the moment. But I think my next book, if I were to get the privilege of writing one, would be about the relationship between the professional footballer and the professional fanatic. Because here at Watford, as you know, we are the original community club. Graham Taylor, John Barnes handing out the prizes, hospital visits because the hospital is right next to the club, as you know. But I, I hope that what the pandemic has done is reminded the footballer that there is a life outside the gilded chambers of uh, lunch at the Grove, um, the hotel rooms and flights up to various stadia. I think Neil Harris or Gary, is it Gary Rowett, then Neil Harris and then uh, Mick? That earthiness, the der Yorkshireness, the Barnsley-ness of um, Mick McCarthy... It comes from the manager, really. It does. It comes from Vincent Tan and uh, Ken Chu to an extent, but it's the manager who speaks to the press, speaks to the fans. Uh, so if Mick and Terry can get the fans on board using what Neil has done in the last couple of years, I think um, the, the, the horrible days of Russell Slade will be well behind you. I, I agree with you there. And my 
my interest is in the club as part of the community. So, so long as we can play a little bit of championship football and compete till the end of the season, I'm not really interested in the Premier League. You know, you don't get your three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. The ticket prices are higher. You know, you, you get mucked about like that. And, and this is the stuff about the club and the players and the manager particularly. You're quite right in identifying that key position, understanding what we're about and what we're interested in. Uh, I think this goes all the way up then to international football as well. Um, you know, how many international managers uh, go actually round and see the kids' football? You know, it's a big ask, I know. They've got other responsibilities. But that's the importance of a, of a club to its community. I'm so glad you said that about Watford because we have got great examples in Britain. Uh, sadly, though, I think a lot of them are lower down the leagues and we do need that lead to come from, uh, from the Premier League as well, where there is that visibility, of course. It's very easy to forget when your club turns over a nine-figure sum. Arsenal in the community do great things in Islington. Everton in the Stanley Park community. Liverpool, Manchester United. The one thing that no one ever talks about is... Well, Lou Macari does get talked about because he's a national treasure. Um, but the community aspect of these elite clubs does sit very unfavor- uh, very favourably compared to the... the um, PLC or the private equity nature of the club. Uh, you wrote this book, Kicking Off in North Korea, which is in the football library. It's about football and friendship. But I was almost, and this is very topical, I was sorry for you and it felt like a disgrace when you went to the new Camp, you sat in the tourist section. Tell me what happened when you saw Lionel Messi score a goal. Well, well when he scored the goal, the Japanese tourists in front of me stood up and started taking selfies so I couldn't see the celebration and they were waving plastic flags and I just knew that within three hours those pictures of them in the Camp Nou would be going around the world and they'd be getting all the likes and all the LOLs and wow amazing uh, awesome and I they left 20 minutes before the end of the match I just thought Football is tourism, and this was supposed to be. Do you remember? Everyone's gone on about Messi on club, more than a club, Barcelona. I just, I just didn't buy it, and I didn't buy the plastic flag either. It's the, really disappointing. The plastic flag is a very good metaphor. Would you think we'll now see a more Catalonian? I know all their members are Socios and they're they are patriotic um, Catalonians, but without Lionel Messi, who seemed to be given. 500 million euros in total. That's how much he has earned just for playing football for Barcelona. This is a billionaire who is now causing queues round the block at the Parc des Princes, where he's been unveiled as a PSG player, so he can get back to kicking a ball about with his mate Neymar, who is a show pony. This is the uh, collision between capitalism and geopolitics, and I think Lionel Messi is a content creator. He's not a footballer anymore. He's a content creator and he works for Qatar and it's really great that we get to see him. Yay. And you went to go to Barcelona. But there's something just not cricket about it all. What do you think of this Messi in Barcelona mess? I, 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 I think it just, as you say, it's, it's an exemplar, isn't it, of the way football has gone. Absolutely crazy figures. Just going back to what you were saying earlier about football clubs and the pandemic. I was expected, not this season, last season, to buy my season ticket for Cardiff City to show goodwill and faith and to support them financially, even though I wasn't going to see one match in the stadium. Some of those players forwent 
their wages. That means they put off having them until the pandemic is over. These people are on tens of thousands a week and they weren't taking a pay cut and yet they expected Dybach in Cardiff to give this two or three hundred quid for a season ticket. And, and, and they're saying, you know, we're looking for government support as well. You know, we're looking for Premier League support. So the economic, it is the economics of the madhouse. The Catalonian thing is quite interesting because Barcelona as a football club have been quite staunch supporters of Catalonian independence. And if you go below that, and I do mention that in my new book, The World at Your Feet, about how the lower clubs in Barcelona too have a great history of social activism because, of course, it was an anarchist city during the civil war there uh, and staunchly um, uh, pro-independence. So it's interesting. If you, if you stick one below, and the history of these clubs is quite interesting, but Barcelona seems to have been able to marry this with their status as one of the biggest clubs in the world and a turnover. The sad thing is, at the very top, someone said professional football clubs at the highest level, their owners see them as platforms to trade commodities, those commodities being players. I thought that was really insightful and utterly depressing. Manchester United are about to buy a centre-back. Why haven't they had a great centre-back for the last... Well, they brought in Maguire, but there was a problem with the number um, six. They needed a six. They've got one in Ferran. Uh, They're apparently looking for another number two because they're... Right back Wan-Bissaka is, for some reason, uh, you either need a reserve or need a challenger. Um, I spoke to Robbie Dunn, uh, who is in Madrid, and uh, you speak of Raya Bayacano, who are very working class. Uh, his story was fascinating when he was talking about uh, the political nature of Bayacano fans. I guess Cardiff City fans. This is an old industrial city, uh, now has turned into the capital of Wales, the rugby capital of the British Isles. Do you draw any comparison between the working-class Catalonians of Barcelona and the bilingual Cardiff City fans whom you watch football with? I think if you're going to draw that political um, kind of, not comparison, but put the two side by side, it's, it's more relevant, I think, in terms of the Welsh national teams, which has been resurgent in the last few years, of course, reaching the semi-finals of the Euros in 2016, and in this year's Euros, of course, getting out to the group. And there is, there's a Wales football fans for independence, which is quite interesting. Mm. They march from the city centre to the Cardiff City Stadium on match days with flares and flags. So there's definitely a political wing, if you like, which, you know, you don't have to be a part of, you can ignore if you like, but it's certainly there. With Cardiff City, a lot of the support does come from the South Wales Valleys. So these uh, were industrial and now are very much post-industrial and quite poor. Um, whether that manifests itself as a living, working class history and tradition, I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And, and interestingly, I mean, we go back to the rebranding of Cardiff. If you remember, Vincent Tan decided the bluebird should be red and the bluebird should die and the dragon should live on the crest of the shirt. And... Almost all the City fans said, look, if we want to go in the Premier League, we've got to go with this guy, Vincent Tan, accept his money and do whatever he wants. So that kind of independence of mind certainly wasn't there when that happened. And that, for example, turned my son against not Vincent Tan and the club, but against his own supporters. So he walked out that night when Vincent Tan gave everybody a red and white scarf and never went back to Cardiff. Uh, so it, it's quite a mixed picture, this politicisation of the club and whether you can say that Cardiff is, it is, a, 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 you know, still predominantly working class support. 
even though the city itself is getting going on the up and up and it's got a we call them, the docks are now called Cardiff Bay and they've got shiny new flats and you know bars and wineries and that so it's got a mixed picture in Cardiff but I think the comparison with Barcelona if not activism then marrying the two together is, is far more real in terms of the Welsh national team it's fascinating to see football as a sport which came up and this is not news to you 150 years ago as a chance for coal miners and steel workers to have a bit of a breather in a big stadium watching men who are their contemporaries kick a ball around and then in this modern era the hyper capitalist era seeing these figures like Lionel Messi who is I think he's the best who's ever played the game in his position in the time that he's been playing in yeah Maradona was great Pelé was great uh, but what Messi does, he's got the most goals for any one club. He gets uh, other teams' fans applauding him. Uh, but he has tax problems that we don't really talk about because uh, never, mind the, never mind the tax problems, feel the quality. Um, but yeah, this Red episode ruined your relationship with Cardiff. You will never forgive. Uh, you, you describe Cardiff as a woman who has betrayed you. It, it, Vincent Tan or Tansery idiosyncratic is a very political word you don't want to get sued and you you write in um kicking off in north korea the time you call it an orchestrated charade uh when he had this big conference and you met him and you bumped into him with all told now with cardiff city a solid championship club with a great manager and a great team with alex smithies in goal who's one of my favorite keepers Pro or con, Vincent Tan has been good for Cardiff City Football Club. You know, religion has been good for the welfare of society. It's, it's not a binary choice, is it? it? As you say, we're solidified in the championship. We're hopefully not going down, but we could have done last season. We could have done last season. But if he's not going to invest in it, well, what are we going to do? And I'm going back to what we, we discussed about uh, Peter Ridsdale and Sam Hammam. You mm. know, could you say they were the saviors of Cardiff City too? And it's it's a difficult it's a difficult choice, isn't it? Um, was he good for Cardiff City? Did he stabilise us? Yeah, well, we've rocked. We're still rocking in a sense because there's um, there's no more money available, and that's that's the crazy thing about the game, isn't it? Mick McCarthy stabilised Ipswich as soon as he left. They went down. Uh, although they do have some money coming in, and it is all about you're seeing what's happening with Wrexham. This story, I don't know if I can talk about Wrexham with a Cardiff fan. Are you neutral towards it's them? Yeah, they're North Wales. Yeah, yeah, they're North Wales. Now, you're talking about politicisation. There is a very strong... I mean, Wrexham is a a big working-class town and there's a very strong left-wing nationalist um, support group in uh, in Wrexham. And, you know, if you look at the way the club was constructed with the supporters' trust saving them... Now, one of the guys there who who runs their fanzine, uh, I've written some stuff for them... And I said to him at the end of one of our, our, our chats, I said, um, you're with a trust, you're, you're, you're a bit of a socialist. Um, what did you vote when the trust balloted on taking the American money? And he said, I didn't agree with it, but I had to vote for it. And isn't that Politics. how crazy this is? Yeah. Do we just say there is no way that community-owned clubs can get any further than the conference or League Two or whatever, you know? It's so sad. Well, I'd rather support the team. I think the the miracle of Accrington, not just getting promoted from the fourth tier, but staying in the third tier, uh, run with a tight ship. And they're going up against clubs with three, four, I don't know how many more times, like Sunderland runs over Accrington. But AFC Wimbledon, I hope to go down to Plough Lane at some point in the next few months. 
and have a look round because this is the result of fan power. Uh, I've spoken to Eric Samuelson, your fellow pitch author, uh, because he's written about the rise and rise of 20 years of AFC Wimbledon. Uh, Eric is the chap who took a sovereign to do their books um, for several years. And just the, the nature of the fan-owned club, my Uncle Clive is involved in St Albans City, I would much rather my 15, 18 pounds goes to St Albans than my 40 pounds goes to Watford. Watford don't need my money. They've got 150 million pounds just for finishing 18th in the Premier League, Zisco sacked by Christmas. We won't go into that. But I'd rather support a community-owned club, but it would be so amazing, you're quite right, for a, a club so heavily embedded in the community like Wrexham to have been able to climb the leagues as it is we're going to see the documentaries turning them into like a, a Welsh Barcelona is that your fear that Wrexham they're just going to rise up with the Hollywood money and Ryan Reynolds will turn up twice a year yeah that is my fear for them and I think that's why I'm saying trust members up there they fear the same thing they'll have that ride they will go up through the leagues maybe and then what happens then because you know as we know it the sugar daddy model only works while the sugar daddy is there and willing to invest. I remember talking to Tony Pring from the Newport Trust, or oh, donkeys years ago, when Newport had a 20, the trust had 28% shareholding at that time. I said, oh, Tony, we have Cardiff envy you. He said, what do you mean? We've got a lottery winner for an owner. When he loses interest, when his son loses interest, when they literally move away, pass away, what are we going to do? And we've seen the same thing at Swansea as well. And I mean, it would be lovely to think that the, um, the government's independent panel on football governance does come up with something, something uh, akin to, because I don't think you can install it retrospectively, the 50% plus one share German model. Now, I don't think you can put that back in there, but there must be some way of allowing fans and responsible fans to say we're going to have an influence on, on how decisions are made. So even if you are failing or dropping down the leagues, you don't forget your community roots. You don't forget the engagement and the social work that can be carried on and the importance of engaging and diversity um, and inclusion. All these things which there are charters and statements for, but which are not really embedded. It's almost a tick box exercise. I strayed off course there, but I'm just trying to say that as you say, St Albans and Wrexham as well. Um, all these clubs, there's some fantastic examples here in Wales. Llanelli and Ammonford are doing great work in the community, uh, which doesn't get heralded. And, and, and just on, on that, I think you can. You, I think you can sort of play it both ways. When Cardiff are away, because I visited, um, you know, most of the '92, because there's some new ones in there for away games. When Cardiff are away now, I'll go and watch Goitre United or Haverford West or the Welsh Premier League because you do get that feeling you walk into the clubhouse and someone says hello you're new around here mm -hmm. have a cup of tea let me talk you through the pictures on the wall this is how the club was set up and this is when we moved ground and it's just something you don't get in the professional game that much especially higher up and it's awful when you bust into somewhere and bust out yeah, okay. uh, that real feel for this is a central part of the community Something you mentioned earlier uh, about when football was set up by your contemporaries and we're losing, you know, uh, that local link. You said, why haven't, uh, why haven't Man United got a right back? Surely someone should have come through the academy and they should have developed someone. And that, what were they called, the class of 92 or Well, Twanzebe, Twanzebe's had to go on loan because he can't fit in the squad. 
So they've had to bust him out. They bust out Ethan Laird uh, and Diego Dalot, who was signed for about £20 million. He's now the reserve right back and he was trying to ingratiate himself back in the team. But yeah, they've, they've got the pick of the North West and yet Man City are now um, pooling them. Although I do hope to talk to Nick Cox, who is in charge of the academy there. It's a, there's also, there's, this is a double whammy if you look at football in its wider sense. Uh, and I've got a chapter in the, in the new book about going to Gabon to the African Cup of Nations and seeing the players there playing for, it's fantastic. It's, I, I, I call it, you know, um, beautiful, beautiful chaos because it's absolutely crazy there. Uh, the organisation, disorganisation, and the fans dancing and, and, and rattling to drums there. Voodoo. The stallion, Burkina Faso, the elephants of Ivory Coast, the indomitable lions of Cameroon and the Panthers of Gabon. But when those people play with pride for their countries, you remember most of them are aspiring to play in the northwest of England or in London. And when I went to watch a little bit of football in um, Gambia, uh, the first day I was there, there was a crowd of middle-aged Frenchmen at the pool having a beer. And I thought, they're a bit old for a stag night, and you wouldn't go to Gambia for a stag weekend or a 60th birthday party. I went with a guy called Mordor to watch a local team there. It's Terracunda East Park. I said, who are those guys in the hotel, Morden? He said, they're scouts. I said, what? They're Belgian and Frenchmen. They're looking for anyone who they can get. They take them to Senegal across the border, try them out there for a few months or a season, and then they'll be sent then usually to Francophone countries, Belgium and France, to apply their trade. So while they're actually not developing those players from Tranmere and Stockport, they're going out and buying up the best talent in West Africa, and they can get them. Uh, and there's this been written about on really poor wages to play in the lower leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're then denying local football uh, in those countries as well. So it, it's it's like a, a double duty ripoff, isn't it? Gosh, we've got to move up from there. Although I do have the ten members of this panel, uh, which are canvassing fans' views on ownership, governments, and financial flows within the game, they will assess if there is a need for an independent football regulator, oh, breaking news, Pope is Catholic, um, and how they could work with the, the, the existing framework. Roy Hodgson is on board, as is Kevin Miles, whom you may know from the FSA, the CEO of Everton, Denise Barrett-Baxingdale, who's a professor, uh, Dan Jones, who's in charge of the Deloitte Money League, Dawn Airy, the chairman of the AWSL, the ECB COO, David Mahoney, uh, Godric Smith, who's the Cambridge United director, Lord Danny Finkelstein of Pinner, a big Chelsea fan, don't hold it against him, and Clark Carlisle, Britain's brainiest footballer, as was. You've worked with Supporters Direct, which has now been subsumed into FSF. Name something that is less important that football reformation needs to take into account, and then the most important thing. OK, the least important thing is Cardiff City um, getting promotion to the Premier League. Uh, the most important thing is that you do have a real structural reform. So you'd say to me, I mean, I, I don't, I, I like the idea of supported directors, and you'd have to have one on the boards of every uh, football club, but their influence would be limited. They'd yeah, how much money out. are they? There's no money. How much money is, is a fan on the board doing? Unless they own, like, Sports Direct. What's the point? 
It's a sinecure. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I'm just going back. I gave evidence to the initial inquirers and the John Whittingdale's chairmanship of the Culture Committee uh, when we said we need support to representation. And to be fair to the government then, they got the Premier League and the Football League involved and the FA. And if you remember, they agreed to um, structured relationships. So all these clubs now have to hold at least two meetings a year with chief execs or someone from the board with representative bodies. Now, it's watered down from our original uh, recommendations when I was vice chair of supporters direct. But the point was you have to have those people on board. The Premier League... It's the tail wagging the dog of the um, Football Association. So you've got to get those people involved. And interesting what you were saying about the membership of the expert working group is that inquiry has got to then, has got to then get these people on board. And the FA will always shout, don't they? Look, you wait from FIFA saying no government involvement. Well, hang on, there are ways of doing this with your agreement. So you've got to get those real players on board. And if these are just recommendations without the say-so uh, of the governing bodies, uh, the many people actually, then it's going nowhere. So that would be my hope that you do get... I mean, there are lots of things. You say, what's the one thing? You know, have a proper... You know, we've got a fit and proper persons test, which isn't good enough. No. There are people who can be, you know, uh, bankrupts uh, who can then go back, not naming names. And uh, if they're not being on the boards of directors are still advising and being paid to do that. You know, why can't we say that uh, a trust should have first dibs on buying a certain set of shares? You know, if it's just a money-raising exercise for a club, why do they care where the money comes from and why not give the supporters themselves through uh, a properly constituted supporters' trust, which is under the Financial Conduct Authority, first dibs on any share offering? That would be one way of doing it. And you could build up your share uh, holding gradually. What about this, uh, Gary Neville? I'm desperately trying to find it. Uh, Denise Lewis, Andy Burnham, the great David Bernstein, one of the best Jews in football, and Gary Neville. They want to reform football. Uh, They have a seven-point proposal, which I I guess that this government panel will agree with. And they uh, want to set up a licensing system, review the causes of financial stress, including parachute payments. I mean, Cardiff have been the recipient of these parachute payments. Why do they not have any Do they have no money because the parachute money has run out? Well, the parachute payments are there for a reason, aren't they? They're to pay off contracts or to pay continuous wages when you drop down. So, you know, to think that uh, they, can go, they can go into your back pocket, don't get me wrong, um, I think that a couple, I'd be careful who I name now, teams in recent seasons where they've done just that. And that it is then, it's, it's a financial churn, isn't it? But it does give a distinct advantage to those teams coming down. And the danger is, and I think the Premier League would like to see this, and it was written in big letters with the European Super League proposal, that basically they want a closed shop. And once you get to that, you get to the franchise situation where the closed shop, which would be the English Premier League, would do what the hell they liked. And you could say they're doing that right away. So if you've got just a handful of clubs moving up and down between the top divisions and that, you know, that gives, if you like, stability to those clubs. Uh, And and even if you're at the bottom there trying to claw your way up the Premier League, you say, yeah, we'll go along with it. You know, turkeys and Christmas. Um, Those owners and chairmen are looking for what is good for their club, not what is good for the league Mm. and what is good for football. Yeah, why would you? If you're a business, if you are Michael Wynne-Jones and Delia Smith, 
You're not going to care about what Wes Edens and Christian Perslow are doing at Villa, except when Villa come knocking on your door saying, we've got to replace Grealish. Buendia's the best man for the job. Uh, Norwich say, yeah, we'll have some of that money. We might reinvest it, but we have to be a sustainable organisation. Uh, and I hope Cardiff are sustainable too this season, 